We're very glad today to welcome you to the Carter Report and the Community Adventist Fellowship. We're glad that you joined us. Our topic today is an exciting topic, the hierarchy, the abuse of church authority. Does the church have authority, and how can that authority be abused? Does it often happen? We're going to talk also about the gifts of the Spirit. What are the gifts that God's Spirit gives to every believer? We're going to talk also about the nature of the church and the final triumph of the church. And we're going to answer the question, if the church is going to triumph, which church is going to triumph? Now, firstly today, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the words of Jesus. And uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 16, these words of Jesus, where Jesus talks about the founding of his church. We want every person today to take a Bible. We hope that you brought your Bible to church, and if you didn't, there are Bibles in the pews. But it's most important today that every person here take a Bible and turn to the text. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 and onwards, and today I have a tremendous amount of material, and I want you to come fast with me today. Matthew 16, verse 13 and onwards. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, before we go any further, what's this Caesarea Philippi? Up in the very north of Israel, there is a spring that gives birth to the Jordan River. There's this wonderful spring that comes pouring out of the side of the mountain, and it flows south and it forms the Jordan River. And in this very spot where the Jordan River was born, there Jesus formed his church. And so Jesus is standing up here in the north of Israel in this very beautiful little valley. And here he says some of the most significant words. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so here Jesus establishes the church. And the church is built upon the rock, and the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, because he is the rock of ages. Upon this rock I will build my church, and so at Caesarea Philippi, where the Jordan River is born, so the church is born. And the question is, what is the church? What constitutes the church? The Bible teaches that the members of the true church are all those who belong to Christ, who are saved by the blood of the Lamb and who follow him and obey his word. Wherever they are found, they constitute the church of the living God. Would you come over here to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. The Bible says, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come 
unto God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And when it talks here about the spirits of righteous men made perfect, it is talking about people sitting in the pews of the church and people who are saved by the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible tells us that the members of the true church are those elect saints whose names are written in heaven. And if your name today is written in heaven and if you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb and if you are following the word of the living God, then you are a member, my friend, of the true church. The apostles were members of the true church. Peter, the big fisherman, was a member of the church. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, was a member of the true church, as well as Andrew and John and James and the martyrs who died for their faith in the Circus Maximus. Even though they were despised by the world, they were members of the true church. Their names were written in heaven. Some years ago, I traveled to the north of Italy because I wanted to see the home of the Waldensian Christians, these people who stood for the word of God long before Martin Luther, the church in the wilderness. That was a part of the true church. Then I think of Savranola, that fine, courageous zealot, This man who was a Roman Catholic priest who preached against the abominations that were going on in the Church of the Middle Ages. He, this Roman Catholic priest, was a member of the true church as well as St. Augustine or St. Augustine. This great member of the Orthodox Church was also a member of the church whose names are written in heaven. We quote him many times, particularly the quotation, our souls were made for God and they cannot rest until they rest in him, St. Augustine. Martin Luther was a member of the true church, as well as John Knox up there in Scotland and John Calvin, the great preacher of the gospel, as well as Latimer and Ridley who were burnt for their faith at Oxford. I can think of that occasion when they were burning Latimer and Ridley, these two great preachers of the church of God. And as the fire was lit, Latimer, I believe it was, turned to Ridley and said, Master Ridley, play the man. Play the man. These people were men of God. Play the man. This day, by the grace of God, we shall light such a light in England as by the grace of God shall never go out. They were men of God and they played the man. And they were members of the church as well as the great John Wesley, that great Church of England priest who preached the word of God as has seldom been preached. God has got his children, my friend, in all denominations. In fact, the Adventist prophet Alan White says that the vast majority of the children of God are found in the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant churches, the vast majority. God has got a big family. General and Mrs. Booth, who raised up the great Salvation Army movement, were members of the Church of God, as well as Charles Spurgeon, that great 
preacher of righteousness who held a congregation of more than 6,000 together in the heart of London for more than 40 years. That bush of flame with the glory of God was a member of the church as well as the American Baptist preacher Moody, the great revivalist over here in America, as well as William Miller, that Baptist preacher who predicted the coming of the Lord back in 1844. And I believe that James and Alan White were members of the true church, as well as Brian Dunn, that young Australian who left the fair shores of the great island continent, the land down under, after graduating from the Sydney Sanitarium and went into the, the land of the Kukukukus and the savages of Papua New Guinea and there gave his life for Christ, speared to death a member of the church, a modern-day martyr. When I was over in Russia recently, I was uh, greeted by Bishop Nikolai, the Bishop of the Old Believers. And he told me of the millions of the Old Believers scattered across the vast land of Russia who believe in the supremacy of Scripture and the priesthood of all believers. The Bishop is a member of the true church of which Jesus Christ is the head. No man is the head of the church. Come over here to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Over here to the words of the great apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 1. And verses 15 to 18, these grand and marvelous words written by the prince of preachers. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, the Bible says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so, my friend, I would remind you today that God's church consists of all those who are in Christ, and the church has a head, and that is Jesus Christ. What then is the mission of the church God gave to the church its marching orders. I want you to turn to the words of our blessed Lord in Matthew 28, verses 16 and onwards. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16 and onwards to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Matthew 28 and verse 16 and onwards. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I have here today a remarkable book written by Alan White, and I want to read a statement out of it. It is from the book, The Acts of the Apostles. And I'm going to turn in this book to page 11, where the author talks about the church. 
page 11. The church is God's fortress, his city of refuge, which he holds in a revolted world. Any betrayal of the church's treachery to him who has bought mankind with the blood of his only begotten son. From the beginning, faithful souls have constituted the church on earth. In every age, the Lord has had his watchmen who have borne a faithful testimony to the generation in which they lived. These sentinels gave the message of warning, and when they were called to lay off their armor, others took up the work. God brought these witnesses into covenant relation with himself, uniting the church on earth with the church in heaven. He has sent forth his angels to minister to his church, and the gates of hell have not been able to prevail against his people. And then the author says, the church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. Jesus said, I'm going to give to my church a mission, and that mission is to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. The true church, the true church is not called to political action, but to spiritual warfare. The true church is not called to do worldly enterprises, but the true church is called to do the king's business. We are not called, my friend, to get tied up with Wall Street or the building of supermarkets or any of those things. We are called to preach the gospel. We are not called to build a heaven on earth, but to get people from this earth into heaven. That is the purpose of the church. God has always had his witnesses who were faithful to the mission of the church in spite of persecution. A few moments ago, I referred to the great John Wesley, that mighty Church of England preacher who was born again by the Spirit of God when he visited the little church in Aldersgate Lane over there in London. This little man who was turned out of the church because of his preaching of the gospel. Church leaders historically have not been on the side of God. Church leaders historically have opposed the gospel and they drove John Wesley out of the church of his fathers. His father was an Anglican preacher and so was John Wesley. Before his death and John Wesley died an old man and full of years, he'd preached four forty-two thousand sermons and had traveled around England and across here to America, traveling on the back of a horse 360,000 miles, a man sent from God whose name was John. Oh, that we might have preachers like that man today. When he preached his last sermon, an old man, worn out with the cares of God's work. As an old man, the people came to hear him preach, and he was staying that night at an inn. He came in and he preached to the people in the foyer of the inn. 
And then he went up the stairs, but the people wouldn't let him go. And John Wesley held up a candle and he preached to the people in the inn and the people who stood outside. His voice was strong. And as he preached, the candle burned down. And when the candle went out, John Wesley went up and got into bed and fell asleep in Christ, one of the great saints of the church. I say today, may God raise up preachers of the caliber of this man. And there have been many like him in history. Is the church perfect? Now we're talking today about the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God. And the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God is far from perfect. Would you come over here to the words of Jesus when he describes the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God? Come over here to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24 and onwards. Matthew 13, please, everybody turn to the text. Matthew 13, verse 24 and onwards. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant uh, came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. He replied, the servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And this is talking about the church because verse 37, he gives an explanation. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it'll be at the end of the age. Jesus said in the church, you're going to have the wheat and you're going to have the tares. And then Jesus gave another illustration talking about a fishing man. He said, when a man casts out the net, it brings in all sorts of fish, good ones, and ones that are bad. And then in Matthew 25, you know the story of the wise and the foolish virgins, which once again is an illustration to depict the condition of the visible church. One person said, I cannot join a church because I'm still looking for the perfect church. And somebody said to that person, when you find the perfect church, make sure that you don't join it. Because when you and I join the perfect church, it is no longer a perfect church. Because the church is made up of sinners. Some are saved and some are hypocrites. Jesus had a church board. It was made up originally of 12 members and one of those members, the man who was the treasurer, the man who kept the money was a thief and a liar and the worst of all, he was a traitor to Christ. There is no person more despicable than a person who is a traitor to Christ and to the true church. 
often, listen to this, often, usually because of the carnal lust for power, the tares will scheme their way into positions of power and influence in the church. When you see people in the church, whether it's at general conference level or down at the local church level, and you see people politicking for power in the church, you know they don't belong to Christ. There's some of the tares. The tares want power in the church. The love of power is characteristic of the soul who does not know Christ but who is indeed a secret disciple of him who said, I will be like the most high, Lucifer. History records, this is not speculation, but history records that down through history, the highest officers in the church have been often possessed and occupied by those whose names were on the church roll, but sadly missing from the roll in heaven. History tells me that in the church, in the visible church, generally speaking, the leaders of the church were opposed to the gospel, did not understand the gospel, and persecuted the preachers of the gospel. That is history. God's true people will not be deceived or discouraged by these pious frauds. In spite of opposition, they will do the mission of the church. Even if cast out of the church, they like Wesley and Savranola and Martin Luther will make disciples of all nations. What authority does the church have? Does it have any authority? Jesus, we noticed in Matthew 16, spoke about the keys. The true church has the keys of the kingdom. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church has the keys and the church has authority. The church has authority and uh, listen carefully and whoever despises the legitimate authority of the church despises Christ, the head of the church. The church does have authority and when the church acts in harmony with the word of God and with good old common sense and reason, the voice of the church should be obeyed. The church has legitimate authority, but often this authority is grossly abused. The text, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, gave rise to the abominable doctrine of excommunication. And it was taught and believed by millions, still believed today by millions, that if the church excommunicates you, even though your name is in heaven, God will abide by the decision 
of the earthly church and kick you out of the kingdom of God. He will if the church has acted according to the word of God. But the church has often in history, more often than not, disobeyed the word of God and persecuted people. Martin Luther was excommunicated uh, by the church of Rome and they cursed him and they said, his name is taken out of the books of heaven. But God took no notice of those little puny men. Martin Luther's name remained in the books of heaven while the persecutors will face the fires of judgment of the last day. The church must rightly dispense with church discipline. You see, Martin Luther was a heretic because Martin Luther discovered the gospel of righteousness by faith. Most people don't understand it. Most people do not understand it. And the more superficial the age becomes, the less people understand the gospel. People talk about the gospel like Hollywood talks about love. What does it mean? Nothing. The gospel is the good news that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. We are not saved by grace alone plus faith plus the works of the Holy Spirit wrought in our heart as taught by the Jesuits in the Council of Trent. Martin Luther discovered that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone and it is not a case of getting ready over a period of years so that when Jesus comes I'll be good enough. I can be ready today when I come to Christ. That's the gospel. Anything else is humbug. So Martin Luther was disfellowshipped because the church abused the authority of the keys. What are the keys? Many, many people, whether they're Catholics, Protestants, Adventists, whoever, do not understand the keys. The power of the keys. They think the keys dispense some fearful mysterious power that is held only by the Pope or the priest or the minister or by the general conference that surely speaks with the voice of God, they think. What are the keys? The Bible tells us. Luke chapter 11, verse 52, 53. Jesus talks about the keys. Luke chapter 11, verse 52 and 53. Jesus here, my beloved friends, my brothers and sisters, Jesus here is talking to the religious leaders. He's talking here to the leaders of the remnant church in his own day. And notice what Jesus says to them. Verse 52, woe to you experts in the law. What law? Civil law? No, the law of God. And when it says the law of God here, it is referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, possibly the whole of the Old Testament. He says, woe to you who are experts, woe to you theologians who understand and teach at least, you think you understand at least 
the law of God. Woe to you experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. So Jesus is talking to the theologians. Jesus says, woe to you. You think you're going to heaven? You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. Jesus said you're going to hell because you've taken away the key to knowledge. What is the key to knowledge? It is the knowledge of the gospel. That's the key. Every time a preacher stands before the people, anointed by the Spirit of God, understanding the true gospel. Every time he preaches the true gospel, the key is put in the lock of the door of paradise and the key is turned and the door is opened. What authority. The greatest authority given in the church is the authority of the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Martin Luther had the keys. John Wesley had the keys. Every child of God has the keys if he is filled with the Spirit of God and knows the gospel. The church has the authority through the preaching of the gospel to give in Christ's name everlasting life. What a concept. Do you want to know where the power is in the organization? Do you want to know where it is? It's not in committees. It's mainly playing games. Do you want to know where the authority is? In the pulpit. HMS Richards was often confronted by men who came to him and they said, Elder Richards, what job are you trying to get? Do you want to get up there in the general conference? Do you want to become somebody big? He said, how can I leave the pulpit, this is the greatest work. It is. You can have that work. You can be a member of God's elect with the keys of the kingdom. Who would want for anything less than to have the keys of the kingdom? But of course, lots of folks don't understand this, you know. The church has the authority through the preaching of the gospel to give in Christ's name everlasting life. I say this to the glory of God. When I was preaching in Irkutsk just a few weeks ago in Siberia, and as we preached out of doors to thousands and thousands of people, every night we had the power of the keys. And people came to Christ and people were saved and people are going to be in the kingdom of God because Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. That is what the church is called to do, not to play around with silly little things. How should the church be organized? How should it function? I put on the blackboard today two ecclesiastical models. This one over here is the hierarchical organizational structure that is followed by the great church of Rome that is filled with wonderful Christians and several other churches, including some Protestant churches. This 
is the pattern or the model of the hierarchy. It's very, very popular. G is God. Yes, he is the head of the church. But straight under God, there's a person in the world who is a little God. Not a big God, but he's a little God. And he speaks with the voice of God. He says, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. He says, what I say is the voice of God to the world. I've heard Protestants say, and my flesh creeps. Hierarchy, God, the little God, and then the cardinals who have kingly power, and then the bishops. You notice as you go down, their heads get smaller. And then you come down to the priests, and finally you come down to the laity, and you've got lots and lots and lots of lay people. And basically this structure says, and this is simplifying it, but it's the truth. This structure says, do what we tell you. We alone can interpret Scripture. I was reading a denominational paper sent to me. Graham Bradford said, what do you think of it? He knows what I think of it. It says individuals can't find out the truth for themselves. We've got to do it as a corporate body. What a load of bunk. Opposed to the Word of God. If that were so, there would never have been a St. Paul. There would never have been a Martin Luther. There would never have been a John Knox. There would never have been a William Miller. Hey, we alone can interpret the Scripture. Just pay, pray, and obey. Just pay, We'll tell you what to do, and you give us the money. Just pay, pray, and obey, and we will put the key in the door, and we'll let you in. But the main thing for you to do is just come to church and do what we tell you to do, and don't think too much, because thinking is dangerous. And so there you have the layers of the hierarchy, and not only my, my uh, friends in my dear friends, and there are millions of wonderful Roman Catholic Christians who are going to heaven. Don't think I'm talking against those people. I, I love them. I came out of a Catholic background. But there are Protestant churches that have the same system. It is a hierarchy. The voice of God, the cardinals, kingly power. You better listen to me if I tell you what to do. You just better do it fast. Then you come down to priests, and down the bottom, like so many little ants, you got the laity. Bless them. I've done a lot of study on this. I don't believe any of that. See, this system, somebody has said, like my old dad said, Oh, Dad said it to me years ago. He said, John, religion is a money-making racket. My mother said, Jim, you shouldn't talk like that. I said, leave him alone. He's right. You know, most religion is a money-making racket. 
And so, you see, all the facts, all the truth that you need comes down from above, and the money goes up. And the reason some will not like my preaching this is because if this system went, they wouldn't have a job because they don't have the keys. But if God has given you the keys, you're safe. Now, this is a system that I believe in where Jesus is the center. And around Jesus, you have the church. And then in the church, God has placed spiritual gifts. Now, I know today many of you folks have been brought up on this. And therefore, it's so hard to change your thinking. You want to believe this because this produces a non-thinking zombie sort of person. I don't need to think. Don't need to read my Bible. Just do what I'm told. All I got to do is pay, pray, and obey, and I'm going to heaven. That's happened to some of you. That's why it's hard to get you to read a Bible. That's why it's hard to get some of you to come on Tuesday night when we do a little bit of exercise of the stuff between our ears. But some say, oh, we don't like that. We just want a sermon, three points and a poem. Okay, that's where you belong. And there are churches that will give you what you want here. The trouble is you won't get to heaven if you consciously follow that. Now, I want you to come over here to the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers and all those believers are ministers of salvation to the lost. Come over here to Ephesians. Now get ready for some very important information. And this may shake you up, and if you need shaking up, I'm glad. Because I'm here today to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and onwards. Does that suit you? This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The Bible says that God gave to the church out of you are a spirit-filled believer. Now, if you're not a spirit-filled believer, this is not going to touch you. You won't understand it because you're walking in darkness. But if you're a spirit-filled believer, you'll understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given for one purpose so that the Bible says every member of the church will be a minister and so the church will be built up so we can all come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what it says. He gave some to be apostles. Pardon my saying this. It says, number one, he gave some, firstly, to be apostles. It didn't say administrators. That's important. But it comes in way down the list. 
God says, I gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be teachers for the work of the ministry. Now let me tell you something. This word laity in the Bible comes from the Greek word laos. Laos. And it means the people of God. In the Bible there's no distinction between clergy and laity. And the Bible says that all these people here are the people of God. They're all the laity. Now let me give you a text. I don't want you to turn to it today because we don't have time. But write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think we better turn to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Verse 4 to 11. There are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. Now verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of these tongues. And verse 25 tells you why. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Verse 28, and in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. And if you turn some time, not now, to Romans chapter 12, it gives you some more of the gifts. Now I've written up here the most important of the gifts. Number one, prophecy. And in the Bible, that is the ability to preach the word of God with power. Prophets, pastors, evangelists. The Bible also talks in Romans about the gift of encouraging, distinguishing the spirits, faith, knowledge, wisdom. There are some people whom God puts wisdom upon, contributing to the saints' needs. Tongues administration. Administration is important, not the most, but important. Helps in the church, healings, miracles, teachers. Now listen carefully. This may stun you. But if you're saying to me today, Pastor Carter, I got left out. It says there's something wrong with you. You're not in Christ. When a person comes in Christ, God gives him one or many of those gifts. Now you need to know that those gifts can be counterfeited, particularly the gift of prophecy. In this church, I've had people come to me and say, I'm a prophet. Recently a man came from our radio program and said, I'm the prophet Elijah, how do you do? I want to ask you some questions. Why wasn't I asking him the questions if he was Elijah? And so this gift of prophecy is often counterfeited. But then God gives people the gift of distinguishing the spirits. 
Every one of you here ought to have one or more. The gift of knowledge, wisdom, contributing money, speaking in tongues for the preaching of the gospel, administration. In the plan of God, administrators are not at the very top here. Administrators work with the church to help the church to coordinate its functions. But administrators in the plan of God do not have this abominable kingly power where they say, jump, and the pastor says, how high? Oh, the pastor says to the church member, do this. And the people say, yes, sir. Christian administration exists for the coordination of the greater gifts of God. And God would have every person exercising a gift and looking to Christ. You notice there is no gift for the critic. You don't have to have a lot of brains to be a critic and to sit out there and say, oh, I don't like what they're doing. It's not good enough. I'm not being taken care of enough. Come on, grow up. There's no gift for the critic. There's no gift for the cynic. These are the gifts, and all these gifts are immersed in the Spirit of God. Every person is a priest before God has direct access to Jesus. Every believer becomes a minister, and every believer is part of the laity. And that is how the church functions, and that is how the church grows. Every member filled with the Holy Spirit, working for the salvation of souls and strengthening the church. Will the church triumph? Yes, it will. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The question is, what church is going to triumph? Is it this church? Or is it this church? People say, but we've been taught it's this church. Hey, you've been taught wrong. It is the church that is filled with the Holy Spirit that doesn't have kingly power or the divine right of kings, but the church that has received the Spirit of God and that is working for the lost where every member is equal before Christ. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. All brothers and sisters in Christ and where the church looks to Jesus. And I read in Scripture where the prophet saw a great multitude called out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people standing before the throne of God with palm leaves in their hands. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the Lamb, saying, Just and true are your ways, you king of the saints. That's the triumphant church. And the church that is filled with the Spirit of God, that is washed in the blood of the Lamb, that is composed of the saints of God of all ages, Martin Luther, St. Paul, Alan, and James... General and Mrs. Booth and Martin Luther 
and millions and millions and millions of people who will never, never receive recognition in this world, especially from the church of the hierarchy, those people will triumph and they'll go home with Jesus. The church of the living God is going to triumph. And you and I ought to say today, by God's grace, I'm going to ask God to shake me out of this dreadful stupor that has come upon us all. This dreadful stupor where people say, yes, I'm happy to pay, pray, and obey because it suits me. May God get us out of that stupor. May the elders of this church be so filled with the Spirit of God that they will become pastors. Pastors? Yes, yeah, shepherds. That's what an elder is called to do. That's why we don't have them sitting up the front here. You know, some churches, elders just sit up the front like dummies. They think, hey, I've arrived. I'm sitting up the front. We're not to be sitting up the front. We are, we are to be out winning souls to Christ. The elders are called to be pastors and evangelists. The church is called to encourage and to have faith. And some people have more of these things than others. Some have one gift. Some have many gifts. And thus the church grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And when God looks down upon this church, he says, the church, weak and defective and needing to be reproved, is the one object upon which I bestow my supreme regard. The church will triumph. Yes, it will. Just make sure you're in the right church.